Well, as we turn our attention now to the preaching of the word, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We continue to explore Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians here in chapter 4 that they were to preserve or maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're seeing that God not only supplies the unity, but also the means of preserving it. Namely, through the various gifts given to the church as enumerated in verse 11. To see how Paul presents these acts as integral to Christ maintaining the unity of his body in and through the presence of the sent spirit who imparts gifts according to the measure of Christ's gifts. We see that these gifts are given of Christ's triumph, 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 that he being taken to all created realms and so filling all things, especially with his presence. By which he wins gifts or takes for himself uh, a plunder, an abundance of gifts that he bestows upon men. He bestows upon men for the beautification of his bride. We examined these offices a few weeks back. We saw how each one has a connection to Christ and his word. They're especially associated with it. For not all the gifts that Christ bestows upon the saints are numerated there, nor are all the offices of the church listed. But specifically, these gifts of offices are listed as they are specially connected to Christ and his word. We saw that the initial focus is upon the gifts being sourced in Christ. Oftentimes we, we look at the gifts themselves. We look at Paul the Apostle. We look at uh, some of the prophets that are named and the evangelists. We certainly have our pastors and teachers that we appreciate even in our own day. But it seems to me that if we are to understand these gifts rightly, we are to understand them first in the context of the church, and then secondly, in reality, to their being sourced in Christ, so that glory would not fall upon men, but would fall upon Christ. We may give thanks to our Savior that as he promised his disciples and through them to us that he would never leave us or forsake us, that he would go with us even to the end of the age, that he does so through the means of these gifts to the church. And so it is in him and we recognize that it is in him that all Christian teaching originates and through his spirit that it takes hold of men's hearts that he sends the same spirit who raised him from the dead to provide ongoing resurrection life and to enable this growth he gives or he gave these gifts he continues to give some of these gifts as they're ongoing in the church follow along as I read for us Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse Verse 7, and I'll read through uh, the end of what I've identified as this section through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as prophet, as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us go to our Lord for help one more time. Oh Lord, we come before you again this morning with an earnest desire to hear from you. That your word preached would be done rightly according to your word. Lord, that you would bless us with your spirit of discernment and understanding. That it would enlighten the word to our hearts. That we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. Bridle the tongue of your servant so that I may speak your truth to your people for your glory alone. To your good end and purposes. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We've been working through this section. We've been seeing that there was a directed focus of these gifts in this section. That, By way of reminder, we looked at the design of these gifts in verse 12, the last time I was before you. This morning, we're going to look at the duration and the direction of these gifts. By way of reminder as to the design that the chapter as a whole presents the great tripartite picture of Christ the head, the gifted ones as a special ascension gift to the church, and the parts. The parts, the saints, each of these three have responsibilities. The ascended head has responsibilities that he performs. The parts each perform their particular roles and the gifted ones perform theirs. We recognize that there is a unity in the participation of the parts and the gifted ones in they both have the same end. We recognize in verse 12 at the end, the, the design of the gifted ones is to the building up of the body of Christ. And then eventually as we get to verse 16 and actually talk about the general ministry of the saints, we'll see that it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Shared, gold, sh shared goals, different roles, right? We have the same goal to the building up the of the body, but the Lord has bestowed in his ordaining and sovereignty different roles for uh, these two groups. And as I've said, by virtue of Christ's dissension and ascension, he gives these offices as gifts to the body toward the eschatological end of what Adam forfeited, namely a perfected progeny. We recognize that Adam proffered in the covenant of works 
through his perpetual obedience was to be bestowed upon him and his children eternal life. And yet he forfeited it in sinning. And so in as our federal head, we fall in Adam. And that gives us greater reason to glorify in Christ, who is as our federal head. We are perfected. We are made righteous before God. Well, this passage is about how Christ has provided these gifts again to the church in order that the saints would become mature and stable. The means of their maturity and stability is primarily sitting under the faithful Christian ministry of the labors of local church pastors is the ongoing gift that Christ provides to the church. And since they are provided by Christ for this specific purpose, we can have gospel hope that he will see to their success. That though our growth in grace may seem imperceptible at times, and as our confession says, that though they may fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to have their graces and comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments upon themselves, yet shall they renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. I don't think I've ever met a Christian who doesn't want to preserve to the end, who says, you know what, and this is a problem. This is like a term life insurance plan for me. I'm good for 25 years and then I won't renew it. Most Christians or any Christian that I've ever talked to wants to preserve and persevere to the end. And so we read this morning the means by by what the Lord has given us for that preservation and perseverance is the means of grace. He's given us a weekly reminder of our fallenness in Adam and our righteousness in Christ. So that we would turn from our own righteousness and turn to Christ anew. That we may, with all that has come upon us this week, and all the trials and temptations that we've faced, and all the failings that I'm sure we've engaged in, you might come this morning and be reminded as we prayed this morning that we are pardoned through the blood of Christ. And it's through His blood alone that you approach the throne of grace so that you are received by God as righteous and will one day dwell with him without the presence and problem of sin. Well, we may have this assurance as we look upon our text this morning, for it is as much a promise of the effectual nature of the means of grace as it is an imperative to continue in the attendance of them. So we recognize this through the gifts that he gives an idea of how long is he going to provide these gifts to the church? What is the duration that he's going to do this? Will there be a period of time that he removes these gifts from the earth? Or will it be until a a certain time or until the end? It says in our passage this morning, focusing in on verse 12 or verse 13, it says until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That duration until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There's a consummated anticipation there. Until. Right? Wait until. This consummation, this unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The first place we stop is that first word until this conjunction expresses the final goal the ultimate result of all that is preceded from verse 11 it indicates the duration of the offices of the ministry specifically the ministry of pastors and teachers being until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God as I said, this has an anticipation that one day we will be united in faith and knowledge. Not just here in this room, though we find from time to time a disjointedness or a disunity in some way or another. We certainly have discussions and robust discussions on maybe some theological disagreements we have. But even beyond that, we would find spatial unity with the church triumphant. As we are the church militant, we will one day be united spatially with the church triumphant, where we will join in one voice and praise the Lamb of God. But this says we will be united in faith and in knowledge. One of the ways in which uh, the world tries to take pot shots at the church is to say that we're not united. Look at all the different denominations. Look at all the different branches that you have. And certainly uh, there's much to be explained as to the real differences we have with those that we consider to have a false gospel. But to those that we understand to be teaching a true gospel, we have much more in common than we have in, un in not in common. And that is something to be said. But we also know that one day it will all be done away with. And we will all see clearly what we now only see dimly. This also doesn't release us from doctrinal distinctions. This doesn't put us in a place where in which we go, well, since one day we'll all be unified right now, it doesn't matter. Let's all just boil this down into some very general tenets and so that then we can all be unified. But if there's one thing I think you understand is that it, doctrinal distinctions are proper as it relates to the consciences of believers as we await the full unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, whereby we are compelled to learn of these things. We are compelled to learn what we truly believe. If, if we're to boil it down to something to the effect that uh, Jesus saves, you're going to need to know something about who Jesus is is what he has come to do what is this salvation who does he save how does he save to what does he save to those doctrinal distinctions just fall out of even what would be an attempt to boil things down to a general a general statement 
And so we wait, we wait with anticipation, and I hope we wait with anticipation. I hope we, we are anticipating with joy this until. It further gives us direction, though, because it says until we all. Until we all, the all here is not all men, not all sons and daughters of Adam are included here. Not all those even who attend church regularly. Not all those who are born of believers, children. You are not con contained in the all unless you are contained in Christ. If I speak to the children this morning, it's to encourage you that you are here. Your parents have brought you here this morning, not because uh, they think that there's something special about these four walls. It's because they love their Savior. They love His Word, and, and His Word says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by preaching. So you are to hear these words. You are to see these means of grace. So not that you would consider yourself a Christian, but that you would believe and be a Christian. Not all those who attend church are in we all. Not all those who possess church membership. For we know there are false sons in his pale that we as fallible men do our best to be gatekeepers of these means of grace or of the ordinances of baptism in the Lord's Supper. But as fallible men, from time to time, there are those that will be in the church in membership, but not of the church in participation. The we all is... The all Paul writes of is only the progeny of the second Adam. Those that have union with him are given these precious promises. Paul, uh, Jesus was expressing this to Nicodemus, right? He said, if you, if you are to be, you, are, you must be born again. Nicodemus, thinking of natural generation, says, how am I going to be again in my mother's womb? And Christ says, you must be born of the Spirit. It's not to be a natural son or daughter. It is to be a spiritual son or daughter of the second Adam. It is to have union with him so that we may receive his benefits And that we are given these precious promises. So if you are not a part of the we all, and as it is with every Lord's Day, now is the opportune time to consider your fallenness, to consider the judgment that awaits you. If you are not found in Christ so that as we continue on in the preaching, you may be considered to be a part of the blessings that we are going to talk about. Paul is talking expressly about the church. 
The Belgic Confession of 1561, Article 29, says what I've been saying. It says it well. It says, We are not speaking here of the company of hypocrites who are mixed among the good in the church and who nonetheless are not part of it, even though they are physically there. But we are speaking of distinguishing the body and fellowship of the true church from all sects that call themselves the church. The true church can be recognized if it has the following marks. The church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. It makes use of the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It practices church discipline for correcting faults. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and holding Jesus Christ as the only head. By these marks, one can be assured of recognizing the true church. And none and no one ought to be separated from it. It is this church that is contained in the we all. And it is this church that shall prevail and none will stand against her success. The Lord has provided richly for his bride. The Lord has cared and nourished his bride and will see her washed in the water of the word. He will see her brought into full consummated purity. Nothing shall prevail against his purposes. Until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge. Paul Bain says the uniform faith and knowledge which we shall have of Christ when we see him as he is. The unity of faith and knowledge is when when all of our uh, misunderstandings will be in an instant removed from our understanding for we shall, shall see Christ and we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. Paul is distinguishing faith and knowledge here to designate that state of mind, which is eternal life, that it's not mere cognition, but there's recognition. Faith and knowledge, as Charles Hodge explains, express or comprehend all the elements of that state of mind which the Son of God, God manifested in the flesh, who loved us and gave himself for us, who died on Calvary and is now enthroned in heaven, is the object. It's not mere cognition, but recognition of the object of our faith and knowledge. Because it says that until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, there is the object of our faith and knowledge, the Son of God, that our faith is of the Son of God, our knowledge is of the Son of God, for He is the object of, of both. And so declaring Him to be the same nature with the Father. As we recognize, if, if we read in other parts of Scripture that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that all knowledge is contained in the Lord, that we are to put our faith in God. And so here it, it has its object as Christ. 
And so it is declaring him to be of the same nature with the father, whereby he possesses the same attributes and is entitled to the same honors. We're not to rob Christ of anything that is due to God. What is the direction of this duration and this design? We know how long it's to be. What is it towards? What is this working towards? There are two things it's working towards. To a mature man and to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of God. First in state to the mature man. And then second, in substance, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Here the word translated man is to convey adult. It's not the common word used for man in the Greek. It's actually a word that conveys one who is, whose development is complete. One whose aging development is complete. An adult is what's to be understood. Not to convey old, but full. For to be old is to decay, but to be full is to be vigorous. Calvin says, whatever becomes old has a tendency to, dec to, to decay, but the vigor of this spiritual life is continually advancing. So we find here that this mature man is not one who's to be old and succumb to the decay of the body or of the flesh, but it is to be fill or full and filling, to be continually advancing, to have vigorous life, to move on from a point of immaturity, as we'll read about later in verse 14, to be move on from being a child where there's instability being tossed here and there by waves. To, to be led astray by the trickery of men and the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But to be full and filling, continually advancing, to speak the truth in love, to grow up in all aspects unto Him. It's pointing to that eschatological end when our Christian development will be complete in this age as to the corruption of the flesh. I do think that there will be continual learning in the age to come for we will never fully comprehend our God and will continually be learning of him, learning new depths, um, probing new depths of the God we serve. But as it is to our flesh and the corruption thereof it, there will be a time when that will be put off, when that development will be complete. When, if you will, the bodies that are being prepared, the resurrected bodies that are being prepared to us will be complete and we will be united to them. And so come to a complete mature man. And even more so, it is also the corporate body that all the parts of the body will be joined together. Again, the church militant and the church triumphant becoming one spatially, one in the same space. 
where now we're separated in dimension and in some ways spatially. As we recognize that though they are in the spirit, they have not lost, lost their creaturely attribute of spatialness, right? They, they exist somewhere. They continue to, to exist in Christ and with Christ and in the presence of the Father. And so we wait for a day when we will all be together and considered a com the complete and mature man. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. The first mark of this maturity, though, begins now. The first mark of this maturity is seen through us being anchored, as it were, protected from the waves of false promise and misdirected teaching. Again, if I can rob myself from a future sermon where we see this uh, nautical theme in verse 14 where they're tossed to and fro by these waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. What saves a boat by, from being tossed to and here by these waves and by every wind of doctrine is a mooring or an anchor. Something that we have now. Something that's available to us now. That par participation in the eternal life that we have now is this mooring and anchoring in the promises of Christ through the instrument of faith. Unless we still think that this is attainable now fully, we see the telos, we see the end of this maturity is to be measured according to Christ. If you come across anybody or if in your own deceitful flesh you consider that you're the mature man that's described here, consider that the measure of this is according to the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of a perfect man. And God's predestined purpose is, is to conform each of his children and all of them together into the likeness of his son. The measure is Christ. The stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It's what moves Paul in Philippians to say that he has not yet attained. He's not yet attained it. And all the advances that Paul had made in his life and all the suffering that he went through and, and all that he was trained in, even to the point where he's able to say that he was trained and he came to a knowledge of contentment in all things, in all circumstances. Paul says, yet I have yet to attain it. Because he looked upon what the Lord had brought him through and the Lord had grown him and he had seen the chasm or the great 
difference between him and the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Michael Allen comments, he says, the end is defined Christologically. Christ is not merely the fulcrum on which the ages turn, but he is also the frame and blueprint whereby we see the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The apostle stacks terms upon the other here in an act of literary excess with measure and stature serving almost redundantly. This, is the, this marking is the material center circling around the notion of our fullness in Christ and His fullness in God. We see that our fullness is associated with Christ's fullness, which is associated with the fullness of God. Put it differently, while, for while a house is not fully built, the workmen may not be dismissed. And until the house of God has every believer, every stone of it laid, the builders of it must continue. Saints, we must continue to participate in the sacred worship of God on His day. Because we have yet laid every stone, or Christ has yet to lay every stone. It's an encouragement to me to continue to preach the word and continue to, to, to work in the ministry. For the Lord is still working and laying every stone of the building. He's still binding the hearts of believers together. Next time I'm before you, I will address what the effect this will have upon the saints. But this morning, it may be suffice to ask, to what use is this knowledge for us? What use is this exposition? To what use is it to know that Christ has used and continues to use and will continue to use his, his gifts in the church until the end of the age? In two ways, I think it's useful, at least two ways. First, in strategy, and second, in solace. In strategy, John Owen says, the great business of the church is not our number by addition, but by grace, by growing up in Christ. We must not consider our growth by quantity. We must consider our growth in grace in some ways, in quality. We cannot quantify our growth by numbers, though a dying church can be symptomatic of a sick church and a church that has lost the preaching of the word and the gospel. But it need not be determinative. For we are to look to Christ. We are to look to His supply to his goal and direction that we are being grown up in Christ by grace. Again, another commentator, Andrew Lincoln, on the greater context, he says this underlines that the church's growth is not being thought of in terms of quantity, a numerical expansion of its membership, but in terms of quality, an increasing approximation of believers to Christ, an increasing approximation of believers to Christ, that measure of the fullness of Christ. 
In the face of the scheming of error, believers are not only to stand firm, as will be emphasized in chapter 6, but also to make progress. That proper growth and progress is to take place in every way. That is, in every aspect of the church's life, and particularly in those aspects, aspects singled out earlier in unity, in knowledge, and in speaking the truth in love. Brothers and sisters, we can measure here our strategy and if we're growing to be more like Christ. Are we more united than when you first began? Are we more in tune with what God has revealed of himself and of his plan of redemption and knowledge? And are we speaking? Are we are our words laced and our thoughts full with truth in love? This is the strategy. This is the usefulness of understanding this. The second way is in solace. Again, Bain says, not that the ministry shall be thus continued does teach us that we must expect, uh, does teach us that we must expect no other kind of ordinance, no revelation, no apparitions. We must set our hearts at rest for we shall otherwise lose our longing. The pastor and teacher God will teach by till his coming to judgment. Again, it is comfortable to think that though the world rage and hell break loose, our God will have them that shall teach and others that he that shall he taught unto the end of the world. Consider, brothers and sisters, the solace that we may have that verse 13 is a promise of our Savior that he will work through his gifts to his ends by his design. There are many uh, books out there to describe to how to grow as a Christian, how to progress in the Christian life. If you only take these 10 points of advice. And here we have in God's word a promise by way of it being rooted and assured. Why? In Christ dissension and ascension in Christ's triumph it's rooted in his finished work that we will all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the son of God to a mature man and to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ and it happens as we attain to the means and the ordinances by which he has given us for that to happen that we would neglect not what Christ provides for your continued sustenance. It baffles me at the dinner table when food is placed out in front of my kids and they say, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat. And I tell them that you're going to go to bed and you're going to wake up hungry. In many ways, here I am as, as a father trying to provide sustenance to my kids so that they don't need to go to bed hungry. Brothers and sisters, you need not hunger in the week for he provides your sustenance first primarily in the means of grace ministered to you on the Lord's day 
and then continued as you're as it's available to you the the means of grace in the reading of God's word and prayer and private worship throughout the week that we wouldn't look for something else that we wouldn't be wait we wouldn't be enticed by the newest fad that we wouldn't be drawn in by this really great discovery that some person is trying to sell books to us about. We would not look for something else. You are not lacking if you are attending the means ordained by your head to transfer his life to you. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you praise this morning. We thank you for your means of grace. We thank you for these ordained means that you have given us to sustain us through this time, through many trials and tribulations, through many failings and wantings. Oh, Lord, may we take joy in this weekly reminder and this time where our minds are drawn off the cares of this world and onto our risen Lord who has ascended on high and who continues to intercede for us. Oh Lord, we ask that you would continue to attend this service as we now attend to your ordinance to this sacrament that you have provided again for our further nourishment. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.